When I opened my eyes, I was greeted by a pitch-black filter covering my entire vision. Disoriented, I reached to my bedside table to grab my phone and shine some light on the situation. The power must have gone out in the night, I thought. When my hand reached the spot where the table would normally be, it hit nothing but cold, dry air. I was beginning to wake up and process what the hell was going on when I heard soft footsteps coming my direction. I looked around to see if I could find what was coming towards me, but the darkness was too thick. Out of instinct, I tried to move to the corner of my bed, closest to the wall, to protect myself. But when I tried to move, my limbs felt like they had the weight of a car on them. I yelled and squirmed, desperately trying to free myself from the invisible restraints. But to no avail. I began to feel cold. Not just any cold, a cold that harbors the fear and despairs of one thousand people staring death in the face. It felt like it was right next to me, but I could still see nothing but black. I was sweating profusely, probably making a puddle around my body. I could feel my head drumming wildly, like that of the prey being chased by the predator. Then, out of nowhere, a light popped on. It was hovering about a foot above my midsection. I dreaded what I was going to see standing beside me. When I looked, I immediately regretted every life choice that had brought this moment upon me. The thing was much taller than an average human. It looked human, but it was no shorter than eight feet tall. It was freakishly thin and bony, and its ribs were prominently showing underneath its skin. It had a long neck that was bent, looking over me. Its head was ovular and had no facial features that any creature should have. No mouth, no nose, no ears. All it had was a massive amber-colored eye in the center of its face, and some small, scraggly hairs atop its dry, cracked scalp. Its head was hanging about three feet above mine. Its hands were resting on the side of my bed. Long, gnarled fingers with knots for knuckles. I saw five knuckles. The two disgusting hands were connected to two freakishly long arms, and I couldn't see all of them because they stretched out of the reach of the strange light source. It began to shift. It moved its left arm up from the side of my bed to about a foot above me, where the light was. It then proceeded to slowly wrap its finger around the light. Its fingers popped and crunched, and then it squeezed. The lights went out with a zap, and then there was nothing but darkness once again. I was honestly relieved that I didn't need to look at that thing anymore. Then, the one thing I had been fearing most of all happened. It touched me. Its long-fingered hands dropped on top of my face. It felt like someone had dropped a lizard on me, an incredibly cold lizard. It was a new kind of cold. It felt like all life and warmth had left my body and soul in an instant. Then it was all gone. All the darkness and the thing. It was finally over. I had woken up from a bad dream. It all felt so real. My face is still cold to the touch, and my arms and legs feel tired and sore. Was it real? I asked myself. Had I had my first ever sleep paralysis, I needed breakfast. After breakfast, while I was walking back to my room, I passed my brother's room, 
and out of the corner of my eye, I saw it. The thing was one eye, hunched over Dimitri's bed with its head hanging just a few inches over that of my sleeping brother. I swung my head around, nearly giving myself whiplash. But it was not real. I was just imagining things. That dream must have scared me big time, I whispered. After that encounter, I quickly got to my room and shut and locked the door. I didn't know what I was locking behind the door. I decided I need to get my mind off of that dream. I turned on my computer and was opening steam when I heard a heavy thump outside my door, and it nearly made me fall out of my chair. After I composed myself, I slowly shuffled over to the door. I opened it just enough to peek out and see what there was to see, and a thing to see there was. Right before my sixteen-year-old eyes, the bloody body of my younger brother, Dimitri. I swung the door open and screamed for my mom to come help him, but she didn't respond. I screamed again, nearly bursting a lung in the process. I need to call an ambulance, I thought. I scrambled back to my room and grabbed my phone and dialed 911. It rang once, twice, three times. Then it picked up. I quickly scrambled out. Uh, come quick, my brother is hurt bad and he needs an ambulance. I, I don't know what happened. My address is... I was cut off by a voice. It was slow, raspy, and shaky. It said, The blinking man is here. Let the eye take control. Then there was a shriek on the other line. The scream was inhuman. It was incredibly high-pitched and crackly. I threw the phone away from me, and it hit the wall with a smack. It was probably broken, uh, not the best move on my part. I scrambled back to Dimitri and put my head to his chest. He was dead. What kind of person could have done this? Three deep gashes in his stomach. He was only twelve. My eyes started to tear up. Then I burst out sobbing uncontrollably into my brother's hair. Dimitri, I told him, shakily. I'll find who did this to you. I sniffled. And I'll kill them. I continued sobbing beside him for what felt like half an hour. After I was finished, I stood up and went to the kitchen to get a knife and see if his killer was still inside the house. When I got into the dining room, the lights were off and the curtains were drawn... Confused, I turned the corner into the kitchen, and then I saw a creature. It was crouched behind the oven, staring at me. It was the monster from my dream. We locked eyes. I didn't know what to think. I, should I run? Should I try to kill it? But before I could decide, it stood up to become its full, huge height. I hadn't noticed this in the dream, but its skin almost looked scaly and its fingers had sharpened tips that looked like they could cut steel. Its arms were almost longer than it was. It started to move its arms towards me. I was frozen with fear, staring into its huge amber eye. Its arms reached out for me, getting closer and closer. It gently grabbed my arms and picked me up. It brought me towards its head. I could feel the cold more intensely than when it touched my face. 
As I got closer and closer to the eye, I started to feel intense sadness. This was the thing that killed my brother, and probably my mom. I squeezed the knife that I didn't know I had in my hand. Once I was close enough to its head, I was going to stab it. I was within swinging range now, and right as I was raising the weapon, the thing, faster than I thought possible, dropped one of my arms and swung its razor-sharp fingers at my arm holding the knife and sliced it clean off. I fell, hot, searing pain in my right arm. I hit the ground hard and it knocked me unconscious. When I came to, the thing's head was inches above mine, but I couldn't scream or move or, or do anything. All I could do was stare into that big, beautiful eye. I woke up in a hospital bed after being unconscious for who knows how long. The people there told me that the dispatcher had received my call, but it was cutting out, then it ended. And he sent a squad car to check it out. I had been found bleeding on the kitchen floor, with my arm missing and a knife beside me. They also said they found Dimitri on my doorway with the three deep gashes, and my mom nowhere to be found. They immediately got suspicious of me. They asked me a bunch of questions. What happened? Why was Dimitri dead? Had I cut my arm off? And things along those lines. I told them what I knew. A large creature with a single eye on its face had killed Dimitri, and then, when I tried to kill it with that knife, it had chopped my arm off. And the last thing I remembered was its face just a few inches above mine. Of course, they didn't believe me and assumed I had been on drugs, and then killed my brother and mom. But after finding nothing in my system, they lowered their suspicion. They discharged me a few days later and asked me if I had any relatives or other family members. I told them where my aunt and uncle lived and they took me to live with them. It's been a few years since the whole ordeal and it has all but left my mind. I'm constantly having that same dream of the blinking man and I see him for a split second out of the corner of my eye every once in a while. But recently, I've noticed the image of it has been lasting longer, and it's been getting closer. Last night, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw the thing crouching at the foot of my bed. My heart skipped several beats, and I nearly fainted. But I shut my eyes hard, and then opened them, and it was gone. I have no idea what's going on, but I know it's going to end badly. So I'm getting this story out before the blinking man inevitably kills me like he did Dimitri. I can only hope that it spares the rest of my family, and that no one else ever has the misfortune of getting put on its radar. I see it now, and it's getting closer. Goodbye. I've always had a fondness for small-town graveyards. There's something so peaceful about them, about their remoteness and their muteness, about the way the moon and stars watch over them, about the whispering of the wind and of the far-off birds. Maybe that's why I'm relieved that my truck died in front of one. I'm not as nervous as I should be. 
a woman alone out in the country with no gas left in her engine. I feel almost relieved as I get out of the pickup, a cell phone in hand, and walk towards the iron fence that surrounds the cluster of tombstones. It's twilight. Everything is rose and gold, beautiful in a forlorn way. The sun still warms the earth, despite a chill that hovers around me. I'm thankful for my sweater. Everything's going to be okay, I think to myself as I look down at my phone. I still had service. I'll call Dad and he'll drive out to rescue me. My maps app says that his house is 25 minutes from here. If he picks up right now, I'll barely be late for dinner. I arrive at the iron fence that skirts the graveyard and lean on it as I dial Dad's home phone. It rings and goes to the answering machine. Uh, Hey, Dad, I said. You're probably working in the garage, like you said, but I'm on my way to your new place, and I was stupid and forgot gas, so I'm stranded. Uh, Please call me when you get this. I'm going to try your cell phone. I love you. Bye. Dad's cell doesn't pick up. It goes straight to voicemail. I sigh. This isn't unusual. My dad hates using technology. Uh, Moving out to the country was a smart move for a hermit like him. Uh, He'll be happy here. With Dad not picking up his phone, though, I'll need to make another plan. The town this graveyard belongs to, uh, the town I passed about 20 minutes back, is probably a good hour on foot, uh, perhaps more. I've definitely been speeding on these back roads. Dad's house, on the other hand, might be a further walk and I'm not sure if my phone's battery will last that long. It's about 40%. I'll need my phone on to look at directions. I shiver. It's getting a little colder and a little darker, and now I'm feeling worried. I decide to spam Dad's landline until he picks up. As the phone rings again and again, I meander over to the entrance of the graveyard. The gate's unlocked and ajar. I wander in and start inching my way down a row of headstones. Dad still isn't picking up. I have expected this, since he always works with earplugs in, and had mentioned that he was going to be drilling today in the garage. Finally, I reach the end of the row. There's a fresh mound with a simple wooden cross. Uh, No flowers. I squat in front of it and hang out my phone. My fingers brush against the damp earth. It's fine and soft and calms me a little as I think. Walk back to town or try to get to Dad's. Then I have an idea. I stand up and start walking around, craning my neck to see if there are any houses. If I'm in luck, there will be a farm or an acreage out here. And if they don't have spare gas, uh, which they should, at least they'll have a phone I can use. Dad's bound to check his calls when he finishes his project, and I still haven't arrived. In the deepening gloom, it's hard to make out any definitive shapes on the horizon, but finally, I spot a building just a few miles to the east. It's small, but it's definitely a house. I breathe a sigh of relief and pocket my phone. Just as I turn to make my way towards the entrance, I hear a high-pitched noise and freeze. It's coming from the corner of the graveyard opposite me. And it sounds like whistling. Slowly, I turn my head. I I don't see anyone. The whistling continues with no definite rhythm, 
And that's when I realize it isn't a person making that noise, but an animal, possibly a wounded one. I jog in the direction of the sound and stop a few feet from it in case it's something wild like a fox or badger that would lash out if hurt. But to my surprise, I see a long red ribbon with a loop at the end. A leash. I dash the last few feet and see, huddled against a stone, a small black body. It's a puppy. A spaniel, I think. It's whimpering. Little guy. I croon, crouching down and putting my hand out for him to sniff. Uh, where did your owner go? As the question passed my lips, I feel a pang of fear. Who would leave a brand new puppy out here willingly? Even if the creature hadn't had a leash on, the circumstances would be odd. But it does. And the leash isn't even fastened to anything. It's trailing on the ground, as if someone was on an early evening walk, and... I shuddered. Vanished. Don't think about that now. I tell myself. Just take the dog and get to the house. It's getting dark. I scoop the little guy up. He doesn't protest much. I decide to carry him with me instead of leaving him in the truck, since he weighs almost nothing at all. How long has he been here, I wonder? When's the last time he ate? I go back to my truck to fetch my toque and phone charger. Maybe I can use an outlet when I get to the house. I empty my purse of everything but my wallet and put my scarf inside. I tuck the puppy in the folds of the scarf. Then I hug the purse to my chest, lock the doors, and start down the road. As I walk, the last of the twilight disappears completely. It becomes dark quickly. The ditches on either side of the gravel road turn to pools of inky blackness. The fields lose their glow and begin to bleed into the sky until the horizon loses its definition. Since I'm walking as quickly as possible, I make good time to the house. To my utter relief, a light is on in one of the windows and a vehicle is parked in the driveway. I climb the steps to the door. They're old and rickety, made of rotting wood, and there's a weird smell in the air. Not a good smell. The front door looks very old and worn. A thick blanket covers the window so that the light inside is barely visible at all. I steal myself and knock. Following the knock, there is absolutely no sound. The puppy starts to whine against my chest. My stomach turns into a cold knot. The hairs on my neck rise. I feel odd up here on the threshold, exposed and vulnerable. I swallow and knock again. Again, there is no sound from within. I wait a moment more and knock as loudly as I can. Finally, I hear something happening inside. There is a slow shuffling, a slow and heavy and rhythmic shuffling that reminds me of an execution drum. I stiffen. Don't lose your mind, I tell myself. They're just footsteps. Suddenly, the door opens. A short, squat woman stands before me. She looks exactly like a classic fairy tale witch, right down to the wart on her nose. Her skin is muddled and her eyes are milky, the pupils slightly uneven. She does not say anything, she simply looks at me. I don't like her. Uh, hi, I say with a nervous laugh. My truck ran out of gas, and I was wondering if you had some. The woman dips her head once, uh, 
a nod. She closes the door, and I'm left standing, quaking with the puppy still whimpering in my arms. Time goes by. The nasty smell is stuck in my nostrils. I inspect the room that has the light on. It's the kitchen. On the stove, there's an enormous steel pot. In the pot, there's a rusty, red, bubbling substance. I squint and try to focus more. A couple bones are sticking out of it. I bite my lip hard to keep my imagination running wild. Uh, no, she's not cooking a person on the stove. The door is flung open and I jump. The woman stands in front of me again, holding a large red jug. She holds it out to me. Behind her, hanging from the ceiling, I can now see bundles of sticks and herbs twisting slowly in a non-existent wind. The pungent smell assaults my nostrils. I take the gasoline and nod. Uh, good night, I say, and turn to go down the stairs. Does that puppy belong to you? Says a gravelly voice behind me. I turn to see the woman staring at me still. She hasn't closed the door. Her milky eyes are sharp. I pause. Something about her tone. Her stare makes my flesh crawl. Yes, I lie. Then I turn and speed walk down the drive. I turn around to look back at the house when I reach the road. The woman still stands in the open doorway, a sickly yellow light flickering behind her as if some nearby room is filled with candles. I stare back at her. At last, she closes the door. I get onto the road and walk hurriedly until her house is a good distance behind me. Then I run the rest of the way to my truck, heart pounding. Thank God for the gasoline. In no time, me and the puppy are hurtling down the road. My phone is at 30% now, but it guides me to my dad's house just fine with battery to spare. Dad's new house is nice. The light in the garage is on, but when I walk by it on the way to the front door, I hear no drill. Odd. I pull out my phone, and there are three missed calls, all from Dad's cell. I get to the door and notice there is a note taped to it. Dear Jean, I might be back a little later than seven. Took the new puppy for a walk. You're going to love him. Hugs. Dad. It takes a minute for the words to register after I read them. Then I whip out my phone and look at the missed calls. Four of them now. All dad. I dial him back immediately. The phone rings twice, then picks up. Nobody says hello, and there's a weird sort of interference in the background. Hello? Hello, uh, Dad? I breathe. No response. Dad! Dad! I say loudly. Are you okay? I wait. The weird sound goes on. A continuous, bubbling sound. Like soup simmering on a stove. I only used his heart and ribs, says a thick, phlegmy voice on the other end. I burned the rest. Then the call drops. Lying here on my deathbed, and only one month to live, I've decided to spill my peace I've discovered about the universe. While some believe that it all started with a bang... Others think a god started it over the course of days. 
It is sort of a mix of the two. I learned this during an interview with a woman high atop Everest in 1951, two years before the first recorded person to reach it. Almost 70 years have passed since I started that climb. I still remember the freezing cold winds almost pushing me off the ledge as I clung to the hardened, pure, white ice that covered it. I was doing the impossible at 23 years old, and I didn't think I could make it. It took weeks, months, maybe a year. I lost track of time, honestly. All I remember is that cold, and almost passing out once I reached the top. When I did reach the top, I didn't see a thing. Maybe it was because of the snow blowing in my face, or maybe it was the lack of oxygen getting to me. But I laid on my back and panted, letting out loud laughs between my catching of breaths. That was until I heard the loud creaking of an old wooden door and a woman's voice speaking up. It's quite cold out here, don't you think? The voice asked. I immediately jumped up from my spot, startled almost falling off the edge as I turned to face the voice as the sound of crunching snow approached me. Who are you? I asked as I made out a form and finally saw her features. She was a tan woman with long black hair. She was dressed in a jacket and pants with a dark shirt underneath. I don't have a name, but I can welcome you inside, she said plainly as she pointed what I could now make out as a large mansion with the yellow glow of lights shining through the strong winds. I, of course, welcomed it, nodding and quickly rushing to get inside. As I got closer, I could make out more and more of the building. It was made purely out of stone, almost like a castle, but how did it get built? Uh, how was anyone supposed to make it up here with the dangerous terrain with all the supplies? Those were the questions racing through my mind as I entered the manor. Warmth. That was what I felt as the large wooden door slammed shut behind me. The smell of burning campfire wood filled my bright red nose as I looked around the extremely large house. It was running like it would in this city. With electricity, with lights, with everything. How did you make this? There was supposed to be nothing up here. I stammered out. Well, I figured before I was creating things, I would create myself a piece of paradise. She spoke calmly, reaching out her hand towards a large opening where a table sat. Come, let's chat. I have never spoken to one of my own creations before. As long as you do not tell, we can speak. She said with a smile. I cautiously walked to the table and sat down, waiting for her to do the same before uttering out another sound. Uh, although she had claims to create things which seemed absurd, how could one argue with someone that owns a castle on top of the unexplored? So, uh, you're claiming to be God? I asked curiously, a slight tinge of fear in my voice as her eyes peered into my soul. God is a strong word. I never claimed to be one. I am simply a creator of universes. There will be a time when this one needs to be restarted, and I will be there to reset it, to create a new humanity. One where, hopefully, humanity will be stronger and better. She had responded in a calm voice. 
It was soothing to hear it after the winds were the only sound I heard for who knows how long. Wait, wait, wait. You mean to tell me you were just born with extraordinary gifts and with no help at all? I asked loudly. By this point, I thought I must have passed out on the mountain, dead even, with the way the woman was talking. Well, I was born in the universe before yours. I was just like you, actually. I aged, I worked, and I would have died if I wouldn't have pierced the veil of reality. I gained these powers from the unknown, and then I restarted. I could see everything. The suffering, the poverty, the famine, and I couldn't do a thing. That was until I thought of a new world. A new universe, and the white consumed all. She explained as her tone had become somber. I noticed that she was no longer staring at me, but at the long wooden table we had been seated at. Well, all of those things still exist. Uh, are you going to reset it now? I had asked as I leaned forward. There were so many questions I had to ask her. She was a creator of a universe. She was a god. Uh, no, not yet, anyway. When your star dies, and humanity does as well, then will be the time to reset. People have lives I do not wish to interfere with. While some may suffer, some are happy. That is the unfortunate case of free will. She said as she looked back at me, her demeanor changing as she frowned. Then why give us free will? Why give us the ability to kill, to suffer, to do anything besides what you want? I asked as I stared into her eyes. She wasn't lying. I could sense it in her pure green eyes. Because I want people to be like me. I created you like the ones before, and it will remain that way. With free will, people will ultimately be happy. They did the best they could with their life, and they got to choose their path. They got to do what they wanted without interference, while some of their actions may be influenced by scripture of the past, they choose their path, she explained. She opened up to me for some reason. Maybe it was because it was seclusion, uh, billions of years with only history and current events to watch until it all came to an end. Or maybe she thought she could trust me not to tell. And while she could back then, she will be pretty upset when this gets out. Uh, I see. There are so many questions I have to ask, but I, I don't know where to begin, I exclaimed, thoughts racing through my mind, ranging from soulmates to the concept of death. Well, first you should sleep, and then we can talk once you're awake, she said with a sad smile. I nodded at this. She then got up from her seat and motioned for me to follow, which we did. As we walked through the cobblestone halls, I saw many famous paintings, some which would be worth millions, a history of art in of itself. And then we reached a small room. It was rudimentary, with a bed filling most of the room and a dresser, which held three large burning candles. I turned to her, thanking her to which she nodded and left. I remember the feeling of soft cotton on my aching bones, 
I almost instantly passed out. Sadly, this was the last I saw of the woman besides in my dreams. I awoke to the loud bonging of the clock tower of my hometown, waking up in my own bed. I would have thought it was a dream, but a note laid under my hand. I'm sorry, was all that was written on the yellow parchment. I never went back to the woman. Who knows, maybe she's gone from that place, relocating after someone had found her. All I know was that this was my confession. I suppose in a month I will get my other answers. Who knows? Maybe I will see her again, but I cannot be certain. All that is certain is that each day that goes by, I feel death knocking at my door, and my life is complete. I was happy getting that interview from God.